Well, good morning and welcome to Christchurch. It is such a joy to be joined in worship with all of you, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're joining us online. We are grateful to have this opportunity to be with you this morning. Friends, I want to extend a couple warm and special welcomes this morning. First of all, for those of the, all of the kids and the students who are in the room who are, maybe are used to being more of a part of our um, children's programming on, our, on Sunday mornings, we're grateful that you're here with us today. And secondly, for those of you who are new or newer to the community, maybe you are tuning in for the first time, you are joining us in person for the first time, we would love to um, get to know you and to welcome you into the life of Christ Church. And I'd love um, to extend an invitation to what we call Christ Church in Five, which is just a five-minute conversation after the service where I get to know your name and your story and maybe answer a couple questions about what life at Christ Church looks like here in this community and maybe offer a couple places for you to take a next step in faith or in diving, diving into this community. And so you can find me, if you're in the sanctuary with us this morning, you can find me right through the glass doors at the end of the service. If you're joining us online, you can have that same experience by saying, I'm new in the chat and our host, Pam, will be able to assist you in that way. But friends, you have joined us on a very special Sunday. It's one that we are calling Rhythms of Worship. It's a chance for us to explore the liturgy of our services and spend time learning, or for some of us relearning the purpose and the power of the liturgical rhythms of our regular worship services. A chance for us to, to ask and answer the question of why do we do what we do and how each of the different elements um, draw us deeper into a transforming relationship with God. And also how those elements can model for us a way um, that we can continue to live lives of worship, to mimic the liturgy of our gatherings, even in the mundane moments of everyday life. I want to ask you a series of questions. First of all, what was your morning rhythm like today? Did you feel like you woke up rested this morning? Was your first reach of your day to reach over for your cell phone, or were you going to immediately get the coffee started like normal? Were you rushed getting out the door to make it here on time? Was there any space in that rhythm to recognize the presence of the Lord? Thinking about your wider rhythms, what, is the, what do the other rhythms of your life say about who you are? How do they inform you or your character? Over the course of the day or a week, are you aware of where or to whom your rhythms are pointing you? You see, we are very shaped and formed by the rhythms of our lives. Rhythms in the day-to-day -day carve lasting lines in our hearts and our souls, just like a coursing river seems to raise the walls of a canyon around it. And so in worship of our triune God, we seek to place ourselves within the natural rhythms of an encounter with Him. And we, we seek to open ourselves to the formational work of the river of life, that we'll have in our hearts and our souls through the liturgy of our worship experience together. And it's for that reason that the liturgy is crafted with intention, crafted and, and practiced with purpose. We gather together for worship. We approach the God of glory in awe-filled praise and humble prayer. We posture our hearts to receive the very word of God. We are moved to respond to his word. And finally, we together are sent by the power of the Holy Spirit with the purpose 
of repeating the liturgy in the world as witnesses to his love that is unending for all of us. And so let us begin, um, can begin to consider just the specific elements of our worship liturgies. First of all, we can, we can be clear that the scriptures are, are clear that the experience of eternity that God invites all of us into through faith of, in him is a communal reality. And so we have the opportunity in our gathered worship to reflect even just a small corner of the beauty of the fullness of the kingdom of God, celebrating the breadth of age and race and ability and perspective that finds unity in humility to a worthy God. We gather together for worship, though we are many parts, some of us are hands and some of us are feet, we gather as one body of Christ, and each and every one of us plays a vital role within it. And so we gather as the body, and we are ushered, in, ushered by the very Word of God into the unique experience of worship. The scriptures used in the call to worship often come from the book of Psalms, and they point to the incomparable greatness of, and glory of our God. This invitation to worship comes from the very source of worship, the Word Himself, and it establishes the vertical posture of this gathered community in an encounter with God. And so together this morning, we have gathered with one another in this space or have joined into this space through our media to be drawn toward and transformed by the Lord. And so now, as we are invited by his word into worship, we rest. We focus on even the simple rhythm of our breath as we quietly prepare our hearts in a moment of silence as we come before a worthy God. and join with me in this responsive call to worship from Psalm 121. I will lift mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smile by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil, he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together.
seated. Our liturgy, as we refer to it, is an intentional order for worship. Having been called to worship, which we just did, our first response will be, as we approach, is a hymn of praise and adoration. God's word calls us to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. First Thessalonians says, And rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the psalmist says in the first psalm, meditate on his law day and night. This we are compelled to do as disciples, as stewards throughout the week. But we worship Sunday morning together and our approach to God as a community is one of adoration. Our hymn of praise sung by the whole congregation, organ and piano is joyous and exalting. O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing his wonderful love. O tell of his might. O sing of his grace, whose robe is the light and canopy space. O measureless might, ineffable love, while angels delight to worship above. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Our prayers of invocation, which follow, are celebrate and acknowledge God's presence. 
That prayer of invocation does not produce God's presence. And then our sense of God's holiness, his measureless might, his ineffable love, leads us with self-awareness of our unrighteousness, our self-centered thoughts and actions, our unworthy sinfulness in the presence of God to repentance. As the liturgist leads us then to a prayer of confession, we acknowledge that we live in need of a savior. Sometimes this may include a few moments of quiet personal prayer. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ we are forgiven. Our hearing and assurance of pardon, usually directly quoting God's word from scripture, leads naturally to thanksgiving. The announcement of this truth and the proclaimed assurance of pardon is one of the most beautiful moments in worship. During this segment of our ordered worship, we may include the reading of the law, Jesus' summary, or even the Ten Commandments, or an affirmation of the tenets of our faith, citing the Apostles' Creed or the Belgic Confession, or something from one of the great catechisms, Heidelberg or Westminster. The liturgist may follow this, leading the congregation in praise as a responsive reading or a doxology. And now, let us pray. Great God, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, we enter now humbly into your presence. We praise you, God, because you are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. We ask, Lord, that you would tune our hearts today to experience you in a fresh and transforming way. We open ourselves to you and ask that you would give us the courage and strength to offer ourselves as living sacrifices for you to use for your glory. Holy and merciful God, in your presence now we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your unending love. Have mercy on us, O Lord. For we are ashamed and we are sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins, O Redeemer, and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, friends, hear this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. Know that in Jesus, God embraces you. He forgives you. He strengthens you to live a renewed life. Thanks be to God. May we now together stand and give our praise and thanksgiving to our triune God.
seated. Well, when I've had the opportunity and the honor to sit with a couple um, in pastoral counseling before their wedding, I find myself continually pointing them to the importance of communication within their relationship. The more that they can find unity and intimacy in the way that they communicate with one another, the deeper they will grow with one another. The, the greater their understanding will be for one another. The more in tune they will be to the heart of the other, and so on and so forth. We experience this in our relationships all the time. And so our rhythms of worship lead us to recognize our great and powerful God, but also lead us humbly into the intimacy of an embrace with our loving Father. God is always Emmanuel, God with us through his Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity to grow our relationship with him through our communication. There is no more intimate approach to the Lord than in prayer. And so regularly, we, the rhythms of our worship lead us continually back to prayer, to conversation with God. In our time to share the community's prayer, we call it the prayers of the people, we come humbly to our able God and we offer him our heart's cries. We offer our celebrations. We offer our groanings. We offer our intercessions. We offer our frustrations with how we are seeing our broken world push against the kingdom that God wants to offer, usher in. We come before him and we ask him to continually equip us to be the salt and the light in his world. And regularly, we remind ourselves of the model of prayer that Jesus offered his followers by praying aloud in one voice the Lord's Prayer directly from the Gospels. In Jesus' prayer, we are given a very template for our own conversations in prayer, a rhythm or liturgy for our prayer, if you will. It begins with the recognition of that beautiful mystery, that God is both holy and set apart, but also deeply intimate and present. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We invite God to focus our vision on his kingdom rather than our own. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We trust in his rhythms of provision for even our most basic needs, and we confess our brokenness and then seek his strength in our continued repentance. Give us our daily bread. Forgive our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The longings and praises of our prayers are also expressed through the anthems of our worship leaders, the choir, and the musicians. The, these moments of worship through music draw us toward the Lord in prayer in ways that often capture the cries of our hearts more accurately and powerfully than just the words themselves. In our prayer, our words draw us individually and corporately into humility before God. And even when our words fail us, in prayer, our hearts lean toward the heart of God. So let us now join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, who stretches out the heavens as a curtain, those heavens toward which our towering steeple points, our arching beams reach out, 
and our common prayer now ascends. Our holy God, how great you are. We hear you say, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And here we sit beneath those converging beams in the canopy of heaven, thinking about you, even talking to you. To you, the God who thunders so loudly, how can you hear our voice? The God who counts and names and commands the stars rushing orderly through space, how can our words get your attention? The triune God, busy, happy, self-sufficient, in need of nothing and no one, what is man that you are mindful of him? Dear God, what pure humility your divine majesty demands of us. What awe on our part becomes the awesomeness of God. Grant us a humbleness of spirit that blends beautifully with your grandeur where superlatives are silent. May our humility be spirit wrought, freed from all pretension and presumption as we worship here, approaching the heaven of heavens with our praise and our thirstings, there to find the fulfillment of our spiritual dreams. Our understanding God bless us as we walk out the door of this church and see the world around us. May we learn of him who meek and lowly walked among us, even Jesus, the man of Galilee. May we, as we leave here, do so in true humility, conscious of having been assembled with the redeemed of the Lord, a people destined to wear white robes and to sit with you on your throne, some of whom now here to be waiting for us when we arrive. May we, as we move into a world of sin, do so in meek humility when we see you visit the iniquity of man with your judgments, he continuing to build bigger barns, you continuing the desolation wrought by your hand. Then may we be still and know that you are God, always just and merciful in your visitations. May we, as we enter a world of sorrow, do so in deep humility when we hear the sick, the troubled, the depressed, and the bereaved cry out, Why me? And you do not answer. And we have no answer. Then may we, in there and in your presence, soliloquize, Why not me, deprived, depressed, diseased? Merciful Father, out of such humility, may our gratitude arise to you, our God, and our compassion spread among all men and women to both saint and sinner. Better than any one of them, no one of us is. Your glory, God in heaven, and for the good of humanity on this earth, we pray. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion. Nourish us with all goodness and bring forth in us the fruit of good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. For it is our Lord Jesus who redeems us, forgives us, and taught us to love and to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Since the very beginning of worship itself, when all creation declared the glory of God, to the beginning of the church, the gathering of worship has always been centered around the holy word of God. Today, our liturgy holds that same central value, to receive the word of God as it is proclaimed and allow the Lord to reveal himself to us through that. In the sermon, we have the opportunity to hear God's word shared and taught to the end that its living and active nature would indeed work in our hearts and our lives to shape us and to challenge us. Many of us have been to conferences, we've been to lectures, we've seen TED Talks or motivational speakers on the internet, and the format and context for those types of lessons make it easy for us to draw some parallels between those and the sermon portion of our liturgy. There is a gathered audience, and there's a congregation. There is somebody, somebody on a platform and somebody behind a pulpit. There's even some level of a shared purpose uh, to, to inspire or to offer healthy challenge to ourselves. But the word preached to the gathered church is not the same as the other sources of input that we see throughout the world. And to illustrate that, um, Here's a, a, just a, a small illustration. I, I pulled the mail out of my mailbox yesterday. I was surprised to feel a stack that was a little bit larger than normal. And, and as I began to flip through the different pieces of mail and the letters and notes that were sent to us, all vying for our attention, there was only one that caught my eye. And I pulled that one out as I threw all the rest into the trash. And this one didn't look completely different to the others. There were some similarities, but it had on it handwritten address in a very familiar style, and, and it had our daughter's name listed on the address portion of the, of the envelope. And when I opened it, I read a note to our family from people who love us very, very much. And that specific truth was evident in every single word of the letter. You see, the sermon is an opportunity for us to intentionally dive into the words of truth from a God of the universe who loves you and me with a deep level of care and a deep level of love. It is alive with his spirit. The word is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us to live in a righteous way to reflect as much as we can the life of Jesus. And so, of course, it is different than a motivational speech or a conference talk. It is God illuminating his character for us. And so may we approach the sermon. May we approach the proclamation of God's word differently than we would any of those other sources of input. 
for those of us who teach, may the sermon be steeped in prayer. May it be steeped in reliance on God, ample study, and on top of all of that, more prayer. That the life-giving word of God would be received by his children in a way that draws them to him. For those of us who receive the proclamation of the word, may we come with ears to hear. May we come with hearts opened to be transformed by the powerful truth of the gospel. And for all of us, may we come humbly before the word of God. And it's that posture of humility that we invite the Lord to draw us into now as we come before him in a word of, prepare, a word of prayer to prepare our hearts for his truth. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but instead by every word that comes from your mouth. So God, we ask that you would make us hungry for your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. In 1964, four Oak Brook residents, Bob Weringa, Henry Van Balen, Herman Dykema, and Julius Butler drafted this document entitled A Proposal for the Establishment of a Church in Oak Brook, complete with program, budget, and a theme for a church building. They wrote, in the darkened sanctuary, the pulpit carved from solid olive wood will dominate the nave by means of light and position and size. Overhead, the pipe organ will echo the majesty of the presence of God. Such a church will remove the worshiper from daily cares, transport it into the world of the Savior of mankind, and prepare the heart for the word of God which comforts, strengthens, and heals. The desire to attend worship services in so sacred a sanctuary will attract people from the entire area. This overpowering contribution to the spiritual life of the community will be known as Garden of Gethsemane Chapel, Oakbrook. Well, some of this was accomplished in short order. Five families called a young pastor to come from Western Springs to lead them in Reformed and Evangelical worship, and they had their first service on Easter Sunday in 1965. And five years after that proposal was penned in 1969, this amazing sanctuary with seating for 1,000 worshipers was constructed through the generous contributions, commitments of 82 families. It is indeed a sanctuary and has a certain sacred sense Although something of a departure of that vision created by that first committee, this place, like our liturgy, is replete with intentionality. Christ Church has always placed great importance on worshiping God in a manner befitting majesty, holiness, and love. This sanctuary is a space set apart from the world for a sacred engagement with God together. The roof trusses draw the eyes upward toward the central source of light from above. And the use of wood and stone lend a feeling of strength and beauty, consistent with the natural materials and artistry of God's good creation. We entered passing 
beneath the cross above the middle aisle, just as the Bible affirms that it, is, that it is only by the way of Christ's sacrifice that human beings can come into a full and saving relationship with God. As we enter, the cross reminds us that through Christ's sacrifice, God forgives us and accepts our worship. The most dominant portion of the sanctuary floor are the pews where you sit. This sanctuary, indeed, Christ Church ministry is blessed by your participation. You, the congregation, are a vital aspect in our worship as disciples of Christ, as stewards of your time, talents, and treasure. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He made us. He knows that we want communion with him because that's how he created us. Come worship him. He is here. He will give you the desire of your heart himself. Understood biblically, gathered worship, regulated by scripture is no less a foreshadowing of heavenly worship on the eternal day when, as we read in Revelation, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, gather before the throne and before the Lamb. The choir was allocated a, a dominant position in the chancel because of the important role it plays in the worship service. The loft was canted on the side so that choir members could partake of their important leadership role, could stand to lead, and yet, when appropriate, remain clearly a part of the worshiping congregation. The very beautiful 120-rank uh, pipe organ fills the two chambers behind the chancel on both sides. On the same raised chancel platform stands the baptismal font. Its base consists of a 400-year-old petrified olive tree, olive tree trunk from Upper Galilee in Israel. Its top is a large stone from Cana, the town where Jesus changed the water to wine that we read of in John chapter 2. We present ourselves and our children for baptism, recognizing our need for spiritual cleansing, for engrafting into God's life, and for the transformation of our hearts into the likeness of Christ. As you enter the sanctuary and walk down the center aisle toward the beautiful stained glass window declaring Jesus Christ, you cannot help but notice this large communion table. The large stylized flanking both sides are 12 chairs with an additional soul chair at the head of the table. This arrangement symbolizes the original supper in which Jesus and his 12 disciples participated. The exaggerated shape of the table reaches out to embrace the entire congregation. The elders of the church who serve the congregation, the elements of the supper, use the side chairs. The middle high back chair remains vacant, a symbol of the invisible presence of Christ who invites us to fellowship through his sacrifice. Further is this pulpit area. It's raised, emphasizing the importance of the proclamation of the word of God. This stylized sounding board rises above the pulpit and was intended to be thought of as a tree of life. On the solid oak face of the pulpit is carved an acorn, representing the purpose of Christ's church, which is to sow the seeds of the word of God in the community and beyond. The carving depicts a flowing brook and surrounding it is a circle representing the presence and blessing of God upon the planted seed, the preaching of the word. Hear now the word of God from portions of Revelation chapter four. 
There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The beauty of this scene is not the amazing things described around the throne. John gives us this passage because he has been witnessing the devastation of a tottering church by persecution. He wants to give the early church hope. And we can see the throne room and also get hope. In fact, we join here together this morning to live into that hope. The beauty of heaven is that God is there and it is he whom we worship. He is the object of our worship. Just like all these elements of what our culture and community use with great intentionality, it's not these things that are so sacred, but they assist us in worshiping in spirit and in truth him who sits on the throne. He is one of our, one of our stated values here at Christ Church is we delight in authentic worship exalting and enjoying God as life's great purpose and pleasure. Now, stained glass windows have been used for centuries to assist in worship. Before people could read the Bible for themselves, windows depicted stories of the Bible and the majesty of God. Pictures were the lingua franca, the common language of those congregations. When we replaced the colored shades of blue, purple, and rose rectangles some 15, 20 years ago, those were not the, what the early committee had envisioned, what they imagined, but they were the first to be installed. We needed to use what had become a common language for us, and thanks to the talents and contributions of one of our members, Dale Olson, he gave us many painted texts throughout our campus that had become part of our culture. We, we became familiar with them. We saw the word of God on them. Dale designed these, these Trinity windows which surround our worship. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. The orientation of these is intentional. We gather in his sanctuary. From this perspective, the Son is at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Son. Just as in the description of the throne room in heaven, it's the object of their and our worship which is important, the triune God himself. On the east side of our sanctuary, overlooking the children's playground, outside is the Heavenly Father window, keeping watch over our children and refracting the morning star we worship. The primary color of this window is purple, signifying royalty. As we look from here, though, it has a muddy appearance. 
That's because of the beautiful green trees and grass outside. The royal beauty of our Heavenly Father is dimmed by the influences of this world. We see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. The use of uncolored bright glass emanating out of the center signifies the glory of God as we discover the names and attributes of God the Father. Source, truth, wise, holy, sovereign, fortress, rock, almighty, creator, and his attributes, loving, grace, glorious, stronghold, faithful, eternal, merciful, refuge, and his name El Shaddai, the original language meaning the almighty, all-sufficient God who revealed himself to Abram, we read in Genesis chapter 17. He whom we worship is almighty and able to keep his covenant for all eternity. Through and from the Heavenly Father window, there are streams and echoes of colors into and through the other two. The center window in the sanctuary has primary colors of blue and green, signifying Christ's incarnation in our world. Again, royal purple is used, which is muddied from our perspective, and the unmistakable uncolored bright glass signifying God's glory emanates from the center of the cross on which our Savior was sacrificed for our unworthiness, fulfilling God's covenant. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christ's names and commands are discovered across this wall. Lord, light of the world, Messiah, Emmanuel, shepherd, prince of peace, son, Word, Lamb of God, Master, King of Kings, and his, and his commands, love, forgive, confess, serve, comfort, trust, honor, give, pray, and the name Rabboni, which we read Mary called the risen Jesus after he called her by name in that poignant chapter in the Gospel of John. Rabboni, loving teacher. He whom we worship knows our name, knows our frame, and while we were still sinners, dies and lives that we might have life eternal. On the west side of the sanctuary, we can discover the names of the Holy Spirit on the canvas of royal purples, reds and waves of blue, peppered with yellow tongues of Pentecost fire. It may be of some interest, but when the early planners designed a chapel, the stained glass windows they had drawn have coloring very reminiscent of this window. The names of the Spirit include Comforter, Helper, Counselor, Guide, Paraclete, Advocate, Teacher. And the fruit of the Spirit in our lives are also shown. These come from the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters in Genesis verse 2 of chapter 1 was the Hebrew word ruach, also meaning life-giving breath, as called by Ezekiel to give dry bones to life. Ruach can be found in the bottom right corner close to the choir, the breath that brings praise and leads us in, in praising God. He whom we worship gives us life in every breath and equips, equips us to love as Jesus loves. There are many lessons which we can still imagine as we worship in this sanctuary. We are blessed indeed to be able to gather here to worship together on Sunday mornings. 
Almighty, all-sufficient God, our Savior, who knows our name, the one who works in us to work grace and mercy in his name in the lives of those we encounter, he is worthy. He is the one whom the psalmist said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He is the one whom Isaiah declared, the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He is the one whom Paul testifies in 1 Corinthians, that rock was Christ. He who made the covenant with Adam, Abram, Moses, David, and fulfilled it in Christ is worthy of our worship. And so we thank you, our God, for your means of grace, the word and sacraments, for this brief hour, for your people gathered and sent, for the hope of glory and the surety of your equipping us now to love and to serve a broken and needy world. Enliven our faith, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. seated. 
how do we possibly respond to the saving grace of the rock of ages? A grace that takes us as we are, naked, helpless, and foul, and dresses us, cleanses us, and gives us purpose, and gives us life. The response to his love is all-encompassing, and it's natural. The one who has experienced the beauty of saving grace is compelled by the Spirit to desire to see their life made into a living sacrifice for the Lord. Driven by the love that they receive, they seek to fulfill Jesus' call to love God and to love neighbor. And so in our rhythms of worship, in our liturgy, we express this by joining our voices in praise and testimony of God's grace in song. We proclaim together the truth of God's remarkable character and how it is through him alone that we have life. Our hands and hearts are lifted in humble praise to our God after his word is proclaimed over us. How else can we respond to a love so profound other than praise? In response, we are also drawn towards sacrificial generosity. The offertory moments in our worship service rhythms each week give an opportunity for us to worship God through the blessings that he has bestowed upon all of us. It draws us toward a humility of his lordship over all of our lives, pushing us away from the idols that can so easily, that we can so easily turn to. And so liturgically, we are paving a path from receiving his grace to living in self-sacrificing gratitude and praise to the one who is worthy. of our gifts and his tithes, hear this word of God from Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies all that you are, all that you do, all that you have as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The word of the Lord.
Well, friends, as we near the end of our time together this morning, I wonder if I can encourage us not to view it as an end of a service, but instead as the beginning of the week. Looking back over this morning, we've gathered together for worship. We have approached the Lord in praise and in prayer. We have received God's word by his grace. We have responded sacrificially, and now we prepare to be sent into the world. We are sent back into the rhythms of our lives, the exciting, the extravagant, the mundane, the regular. It is in those rhythms that we are called to be the hands and the feet of God, to be witnesses to his love and light in a world where darkness continues to find footholds. And so now, as we return to our daily and our weekly liturgies, we do so equipped and refreshed and encouraged to experience with the experience of the liturgy that we've traveled through together today. Our call is to echo the practices and the movements of this time that we've shared in our rhythms of work, our rhythms of family, our rhythms of relationship and rest in all aspects of our lives. The benediction offered by the pastor serves as a scriptural blessing for the people of God, that we might receive the power of God's favor on us as we are sent out. Furthermore, it serves as a call and a reminder that we do not leave casually or aimlessly. In fact, we, are not, we do not leave the worship service. We are sent by the Spirit of God. We have inherent purpose in our going out to bring glory to God. After the benediction, we are led to receive a musical response, often a choral amen, indicating our affirmation of the truth of the liturgy that we've journeyed through together and an opportunity for us to take the posture of people who say together, may it be so. And as we leave this house of worship, as we are sent, we pass under the cross that purposefully stands at the border between the sanctuary and the world beyond. And as we walk out, the cross assures us that God's presence in our lives will empower us against any, um, even the deepest darkness or the most isolating values that, of the world that we step into. And so now as we here are some opportunities to grow in our lives of faith and in this community as we receive a benediction and as we today join our voices in a response. May we do so in a way that prepares us and encourages us as we are sent into the world to use the liturgies and rhythms of our lives to bring glory to the Lord and through his spirit, love into the world. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you would like prayer from one of us, either see uh, my partner here, Aaron, or myself afterwards, or one of the prayer ministers by the banner in the back corner. If you're new or would like to find ways to plug in more uh, uh, productively into the life of Christ Church, we're happy to introduce you to Christ Church in Five. Next week is going to be busy. We're launching our kids' programs, and all of these Events that we have coming up are listed on the September calendar card, which is available on your way out. Next week, Dan is back in the pulpit, and he's going to be speaking about life. It's wild. 
Encountering God in Ourselves in the Book of Exodus is the title. No matter how we tame it, try to control it, chain it, fence it, it, life is wild. It takes twists and turns and makes leaps and bounds we never predicted. Sudden hardships, so many different things unexpected are, are, are come our way. And Dan will be addressing that. Now after the benediction, I invite you to sing with uh, Becky and Steve, Aaron and myself, this choral response, this congregational response. But now stand please and receive the benediction, which echoes our call to worship. Lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh your help. Our help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He pre shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even for all, forevermore. May it be so, may it be so. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.